Hello and welcome to episode 285 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, and this episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. In fact, it's a first of its kind in section 138 history. Bryson isn't with us. He has to work today. Jacob isn't with us. He has dental surgery today and just got his mouth frozen. So it's going to be a solo episode. It's just me. We're going to unpack the series sweep of the Chicago White Sox this past week. Of course, with the game on Tuesday, the rain out Wednesday, and then the wild doubleheader that the Blue Jays took both games of on Thursday. Uh, we got lots of questions, lots of mailbag from our listeners, and so we'll get to that later. But let's just start off with the obvious. Of course, the Blue Jays take this massive sweep. Um, you know, I think it's a valid question. Are the Blue Jays getting hot at the right time? There's always, it's always a good time to get hot, but especially right before the All-Star break, and especially when you look at how other teams are performing right now, teams in the wild card race. You look at the Yankees, they lost two of four to Baltimore. They split that long series. Houston took two of two from Colorado earlier this season, or earlier this week, and then they lost a game to Seattle on Thursday. So you look at Thursday in and of itself. The Yankees lose to Baltimore, the Astros lose to Seattle, and the Blue Jays win twice against the Chicago White Sox. So just a huge day to gain ground in the standings. And now in the wildcard standings, they're tied with the Yankees for the third wildcard spot, and they're only one game back of Houston for the second wildcard spot. So I know we always rail on the Blue Jays in this season for being such a massive disappointment, and in a lot of ways it is. But at the same time, you also got to be happy about the fact that the Blue Jays are still in the fight. And again, they're kind of getting hot at the right time. This is the stretch you need to win, right? You can look at those series, like the series against Boston, and be very, very mad about those games, as you should be, because those are games that the Blue Jays should at least win, at least, at the very bare minimum, one of three against a team that's worth, worse than usually should be taking two of three. But, um, you know, that's in the past now. Now the Blue Jays going into series against Chicago, a series they absolutely had to win, and they did. They did everything they could. So there's nothing to complain about there. There are negatives in this series, of course. Um... It took them 11 innings to score a run in the first game of the doubleheader on Thursday. And of course, that's against a pitcher in Lancelin who has been anything but good this season. And if that game doesn't describe the Blue Jays' season so far, minus the 11th inning, I don't know what does, right? Going 10 innings against the Chicago White Sox pitching staff and not scoring a single run kind of encapsulates what the Blue Jays have been this year. So that was obviously a disappointment and something that the Blue Jays, if you're doing it over again, you don't go to the 11th inning, right? You score at the couple of opportunities you had through nine innings. You get to a guy who has an ERA over six this season, who's been absolutely terrible for the White Sox. You get to him early, and then it's not a problem. You don't need to go to extras. Um, and so that's obviously something if you're nitpicking on this series or even just looking for things that the Blue Jays could have done better, that's one of them. Um, another thing is you win both the other games by one run. Again, this is Chicago White Sox team. They have a bottom, kind of like bottom five, bottom seven offense in baseball. The fact that you're winning these games by one run. The pitching staff was great. Hitting still a little bit lackluster. Of course, you get clutch hitting in that 11th inning. In game one, you have some other good moments from throughout the series that we're going to talk about, but um, those are kind of the nitpicks from this series. So yeah, getting hot at the right time, you're really happy about the ground that the Blue Jays make up in the wild card race and against some of the teams they need to gain ground on, but of course, there's always room for improvement, especially with this team. Um, let's talk about some of the standout performances from this series. Let's start 
with the offense. And I think one guy that's probably on everyone's mind is Whit Merrifield. Um, he was two hit Whit in game one of this series on Tuesday night when he went two for four, two RBI. And then Thursday, game two, he turned from two hit Whit to two homer Whit. He had two homers in that series finale, the, the, the nightcap of the, the doubleheader. Um, he ended that night two for four, two RBI, two home runs. So very similar line to Tuesday's game, but overall just fantastic series from Whit Merrifield. And uh, I know he got a lot of hate for being named to the All-Star game. A lot of people thinking he doesn't deserve to go to the All-Star game, but he's trying to prove in this game alone that he deserves to go. And of course, he's been very valuable for the Blue Jays this season. And maybe we don't talk about him enough, um, to be honest. Maybe he doesn't go to d deserve to go to the All-Star game, but he's been very valuable for the Blue Jays this season. And so that's something that can't be ignored. Um, another standout from this series, just based on one game alone, was Bo Bichette. He had a four for five night in the second game of Thursday's doubleheader. That was very awesome to see. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., after the series that we saw against Boston, after the series that we saw in San Francisco, Oakland, etc. The power continues. He went 5 for 14 total over the three games. A big home run on Tuesday night to take the lead. And of course, that is exactly what you want from the Blue Jays. The power has been missing. This has been something that I've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. The power is the real problem with this offense, or at least it was the real problem with this offense. They were getting no power out of anyone prior to the last, you know, two weeks, basically. But the thing that I like about what we've seen from them against Oakland, against Boston, against now Chicago, is that we're finally seeing some of this power, right? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has that power back. Whit Merrifield with the two home runs. Matt Chapman with a home run in last night in the, the, the again, the nightcap of the doubleheader. So I, I think we're finally seeing that power come. And I, I know it was only a matter of time, and that's what we've been saying all year. It took way longer than it should have. But the fact that that power is here now um, is very encouraging. And again, it's very late, right? We're almost to the All-Star break. We've got one more series before the All-Star break. But the fact that that power is here, finally, at long last... Um, is a very good sign for the Blue Jays. And so when we go back to that question of are they heating up at the right time, um, yes. Like the power, to me, the, the fact that the power is back indicates that this hot streak, if you want to call it that, I mean, it's like it's three games compared to, you know, you come off a series sweep by the Boston Red Sox and then you go on to sweep the White Sox. So I wouldn't call it really a hot streak from the Blue Jays. But the fact that the power is there makes me believe that these types of wins are real. Um, and of course, you have those nitpicks and a lot of issues with that series in Bo uh, against Boston. You have your nitpicks in this series, right? The base running continues to be an issue. We saw Vladdy get thrown out, trying to round second, going into the middle of nowhere, basically being caught between second and third. And then you go back to that Boston series, Bo Bichette being thrown out at home. Like the base running issues are there, and that's a problem. But the fact that the power has finally arrived has got me excited. Um, okay. Standouts on the pitching side of things, um, starting-wise, Bassett was solid, Kikuchi was relatively solid. I mean, we said it all year, but like these guys are your back-of-the-rotation guys, right? So if you get three earned runs out of Chris Bassett and four earned runs out of Yusei Kikuchi, like, it keeps you in the game. If the offense does its job, you win the game. And so I can never come here and complain about your fifth starter, I guess fourth starter now, Yusei Kikuchi, showing up and giving foreign runs over five innings. Like, I'm never going to complain about a performance like that. Um, 
of course. It helps that it's mixed in with more, uh, you know, better performances from Yusei Kikuchi. It helps that he's kind of bouncing between, you know, he has a four and run start one time, but then he'll throw scoreless innings the other time or give up one or two runs. Like, it helps, but ultimately your fifth starter, your fifth starter is giving up four and runs in five innings. Um, it's kind of par for the course. It's kind of everything you hope for out of a fifth starter. Of course, the real standout from the starting pitching staff in this series is Jose Brios, who started game one of the doubleheader. He went seven innings, allowed only one hit. Of course, no earned runs, one walk, six strikeouts. Um, Jose Brios's resurgence has been a joy to watch. And, you know, we haven't really talked about it in a couple months because he's just been so consistent. Uh, but he really has returned to form. He's returned to what he was in 2021 and prior. And again, that's exactly what the Blue Jays needed. And so, you know, you might be missing Alec Manoa, which we'll get to later in this episode. You might be not totally getting exactly what you want from Chris Bassett all of the time. But the fact that you have Jose Barrio showing up and going back to maybe not ace, but like kind of like second or third starter quality. And then um, certainly his start in this series was ace quality. But then you also have Yusei Kikuchi showed up and kind of turned things around from last season. Um, it's a lot of fun to watch. The rotation has been a very pleasant surprise uh, this season. To stay on pitching for a little bit, let's go to Sweet Relief, which we haven't done in a lot, little while. It's tough to do when you're getting sweeped by the Boston Red Sox. But in this series, we had a lot of good relief appearances. First off, I'm going to give an honorable mention to three guys. Jordan Romano, Tim Meza, and Nate Pearson. All three of them were great out of the bullpen. They pitched really important innings for the Blue Jays, especially Jordan Romano coming out twice in this series in the first game of that doubleheader uh, and just shutting the White Sox down, right? The offense didn't score a single run. It was 0-0, but Jordan Romano comes out and does exactly what you need him to do. But along the same lines, today's sweet relief for this series, the award goes to Trevor Richards. He pitched two innings, in that first game of the doubleheader on Thursday, gave up one hit, struck out four in relief of Jose Barrios. And again, 0-0 game. The entire game up until that point comes down to Trevor Richards. He's pitching the eighth and ninth innings in a tie game, a 0-0 game. Everything comes down to what he does in that moment. And he managed to not just pitch a gem, not just pitch really well, but keep the White Sox off the board, keep them out of the base pass, and ensure that the Blue Jays still, the offense, give the offense a chance to win it, right? Because ultimately, when it's tied 0-0, that's ultimately all you're trying to do. You're trying to give the offense a chance to win it. And Trevor Richards did exactly that. So that was very encouraging, awesome to see, incredible, and of course, he's been great this season for the Blue Jays overall. Uh, we talked... I don't know if it was last episode, a couple episodes ago, but the potential of stretching Trevor Richards out, that doesn't seem like it's going to be necessary now that Alec Manoa is, of course, on his way back. He's starting tomorrow against the Detroit Tigers, I guess today, now that I'm recording this. Um, so stretching him out is no longer necessary, but again, these performances, these two-inning clutch performances, or three innings as he was as an opener, like this is all you could hope for from Trevor Richards. He is performing exactly how you would want him to out of the bullpen and filling the exact role you need him to, right? The Blue Jays really have no other guy to take this kind of long, long relief, but also high leverage type situation. Like, I guess like Nate Pearson might be a name you'd bring up in that conversation. The Blue Jays had Thomas Hatchup 
in the bullpen. So maybe that's another name you could talk about. But again, the high leverage, I think, is really what differentiates these guys. Because, like, I, I mean, obviously you trust Nate Pearson right now. But even so, I don't know if you trust him to the extent you trust Trevor Richards at this point. Like, Richards has been that good. I think he's, when we talk about the circle of trust, like, obviously, Jordan Romano, Eric Swanson, Tim Meza, I think are maybe the three names that you first think of when you think of that circle of trust. Like, Garcia definitely isn't in it. No one else has been healthy enough to work their, themselves into it, I don't think. But Trevor Richards, I think, is that kind of fourth guy right now. Maybe you might even put him above Meza. Like, obviously, they operate on very different spectrums. Like, they fulfill very different roles for the Blue Jays, but just based on effectiveness and how how much Trevor Richards has pitched, like, he's coming in and pitching two, three innings every time. Um, it's been awesome to see. He's been fantastic this season. Um, deserves any chance we can get to praise him. So that's the bullpen. That's the offense. That's starting pitching. That's kind of the scope of this series. Let's get to the news from this week, and that's Alec Manoa. He's on his way back. At long last, um, the start of the season was a disaster. His first appearance in the middle of nowhere, essentially, in Florida, disaster. He comes back, he comes up, he's get called up to, to AA, New Hampshire, and he pitches well. Five innings, one earned run, ten strikeouts, three hits, um, and now he's back. He's in the majors. He's starting tonight against the Detroit Tigers. Um, we'll see how he does. I think the one question everyone's asking is, is this too soon? Was he rushed to the majors? And I think that's a very valid question. It's a concern I have. And honestly, yes, I think he was rushed. Like, I would have liked to see him get more time in the minors. Like, I guess, I don't know. Part of me thinks, okay, the Blue Jays had a very specific goal for Alec Manoa, right? They would have set out... We want this adjustment to your delivery. We want X, Y, Z. And obviously he's demonstrated that to them for them to be calling him up back up to the majors. My concern is that it's too soon, right? He had two minor league appearances, one of which went about as poorly as you could expect. And again, like we talk about, like, we don't know what was going on. We don't know what the Blue Jays were looking for in that outing. If they were asking for him to just get the pitch in the zone and don't worry about movement or whatever, like... We don't know what the Blue Jays were looking for, and we weren't watching that start, right? A lot of people bring up the point that I think it's valid. I think it might be you're giving too much credence to it if you really rely on it as a justification for that start. But the fact that, like, yeah, he as much as he's facing 18, 19-year-olds, he's also got 18, 19-year-olds behind him on defense, right? So the defense is going to look very different than it would at the major league level. And so basically the point being it's a black box. We don't know what happened in that 11-run start. But my concern is that he's rushed back too fast, right? So, like, that's the two side of things. I trust the Blue Jays that they've seen what they need to see out of Alec Manoa and they think he's fully adjusted, he's fully back. But the other side of things is, I don't know, man. It's, it's been two starts in the minors. Basically, what, a month? A month and a couple weeks in the minors? Like, I think I would have liked to see him take a little bit more time to work his way back up. Um... And whether that means like another start in double A or a start in triple A or two starts in triple A, like I, I don't know exactly what it was look, would look like, but I feel like to me instinctually the trajectory works better if 
you have him stay in the minors for at least one more start, right? Set him up so that he's starting in the minors this Friday, right? Start in Buffalo this Friday. And then you have the all-star break to line things up with the rotation, then bring him back right after the all-star break. So I think that's kind of the ideal scenario for me. I'm a little bit worried. Of course, I'm nervous. Going to be watching tonight's start very uh, eagerly and anxiously to see how he performs. Um, The one thing I will say, though, you look at the schedule ahead. Like, you look at the schedule after the All-Star break. It does help you understand this decision a little bit more. Because the teams the Blue Jays are facing after the All-Star break, they're up against Arizona first, then San Diego, Seattle, Los Angeles Dodgers, Los Angeles Angels, and then the Baltimore Orioles. And so, of those six teams, San Diego and Seattle are 18th and 19th. Uh, in terms of offense, if you're ranking by runs scored this season. Everyone else, Arizona, uh, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Orioles, those four teams are top 10, top 9, actually, in uh, runs scored this season. So you're looking at elite offensive teams, uh, unless, of course, you start Alec Manoa against San Diego and Seattle. So the bonus of starting him now, before the All-Star break, is that you get him to pitch against a team that is not good offensively. Right? You're pitching against the Detroit Tigers, who are you know, kind of a, a bottom five team in baseball. If you look at the stats, they're bottom five offense by wins above replacement, by WRC+, and by runs scored. So when you frame it that way, right, starting him against Detroit, it gives him a soft place to land. So that's positive. That, that's something that you look for. And he doesn't really have that soft place to land after the break, unless you line him up for San Diego or Seattle. Um, and even then, those are both better offensive teams than the Detroit Tigers. So uh, that that setup is part of the justifi- justification for the Blue Jays, I think. And then even after that, you go into the month of August and the Blue Jays face Boston, which is also kind of this top 10 offensive baseball. So that timing, that structure makes sense. But I am a little worried that they are bringing him back too fast. Um, you know, originally when he was sent down, I estimated that he'd be back between... The All-Star break and the trade deadline, um, we're almost there. He's basically, like, he's, he's pitching the third game before the All-Star break. So, it's, like, very, very close. But, you know, J- Jacob deserves credit for originally predicting, uh, I guess, the closest to when he actually returns to the majors. But, again, going to be watching tonight very anxiously, very excitedly to see how he pitches. And, of course, there is a lot riding on it, right? You can only go with a bullpen day. Uh, once every five days for so long. And, um, you know, it's another question of what happens when Ryu is back, um, but and, and what happens at the deadline as well. Like, did the Blue Jays acquire a starting pitcher to solidify the rotation, guard against injuries, improve on the back end if you're worried about Kikuchi or Bassett or even Manoa down the line? Like, that's a valid conversation that we're going to be having. We're going to be previewing the trade deadline as soon as we come out of the All-Star break on the podcast. But... I don't know. Lots of questions moving forward. A lot of it depends on how Alec Manoa pitches and whether we see what we need to see from him. And of course, the Blue Jays think we will. So we will wait and see, as always. Um, I mentioned we have a mailbag this episode, and we do. We've got a ton of great questions from our listeners. Um, Just a reminder, if you want to participate in our mailbags, if you want to um, engage with Anyone who listens to this podcast, and of course, uh, Jacob Bryson and I, who host this podcast, um, join our Discord. The link is below this episode. Uh, you can find everything below this episode, but the link to our Discord is there. And you can join, join other 70 other listeners to chat about baseball and, of course, submit your questions for a mailbag. 
So with that in mind, let's look at some of the questions. Uh, the first comes from Naden, and they're, they're, all the questions are kind of along the same lines of where the Blue Jays are right now and the trade deadline and that sort of dynamic. But the first question from Naden, they ask, is this a do-or-die season for Ross Adkins to keep his job? And it's a really in interesting question, right? Because you go back to like, okay, 2016, he takes over as general manager. You're looking at a team where you know there's going to be a rebuild, right? They came in with a very, you know, they weren't hiding anything. They, they were very transparent about, like, this is going to be a rebuild, right? These guys are old. We need to trade people. We need to develop our system that Alex Anthopoulos, for better or worse, kind of, uh, you know, tore apart for those 2015 and 2016 seasons. And so you go through the rebuild. You have all these expectations. 2020 kind of raises them through the roof with, with the way the Jays Played that season, I know, 32-28 record, but they got very close to a playoff spot, and then, or they were in a playoff spot that season, and then 2021 again raises them through the roof, where they get very, very close to a playoff spot one game away, and then 2022, we're disappointed by the way the team performs, and then this season, again, we've been disappointed by the way the team performs, so, like, it's a very valid question to wonder, like, how long do we give these guys, right? It's 2016, so you're talking about 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 21, 22, 23. We're talking about eight seasons at this point where they've been, I, I say they, Ross Adkins, Mark Shapiro, Mark Shapiro not really in charge of the day-to-day -day baseball activities, but Ross Adkins has been running this team for eight seasons. At what point do you say the results that he's putting up aren't enough, enough to justify keeping your job? And I'll say this, last year when the Blue Jays fired Charlie Montoyo, I thought that was the wrong decision because I thought the blame lied more on Ross Adkins for roster construction than it did on Charlie Montoyo. And of course, what we learned after the fact about the fact that, you know, Montoyo was kind of losing the clubhouse, that sort of thing, that changed the perception, right? You can't have a manager lose the clubhouse. And in that case, it makes sense for Montoyo to be fired. But I, a lot of this, the problems with that team and this team were roster construction, right? The Blue Jays this year just don't have enough power. They just don't have enough power. Like, that's the problem. With this team, you go back to last year. the 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 pitching, both the starting pitching and the bullpen were terrible. And you, you can't blame Charlie Montoyo on the fact that Yusei Kikuchi was terrible, right? You can't blame Charlie Montoyo on the fact that you had no one to trust out of the bullpen. And so I think a lot of the problems on this team come down to roster construction more so last season than this season. But I really think a lot of the problems come down to that. And so in terms of like, is this a do or die season? No, I don't think so. I think. I shouldn't say regardless of what happens this year, but I think even if things go south this year and they miss the playoffs or they kind of end up in a similar situation as last year where they make it, but it goes terribly, like, I still think Ross Atkins has a job. I think next season may be the do-or-die year, right? Because you're getting towards the end of Vadi and Bo's time with the Jays, um, or at least their initial contracts with the Jays. You're getting towards the point where you need to start planning for the next stage of Blue Jays baseball, right? Like what, what's the next phase? What comes next after these two players leave? What's the next, if these two players leave, do you, do you resign them? Like, do you extend them? Like, I think we're kind of entering that phase. And so I think if next season goes poorly under expectations, that sort of thing, I think Ross Atkins may be on his way out. But again, like if this season goes well, if the Blue Jays again, like continue this little hot stretch and, they turn it into a wonderful season. I think if they make it to the division series, maybe the championship series, 
like at that point you're talking about a successful season and then I think you like you buy yourself a couple extra years if you're Ross Atkins because automatically you got some goodwill you've produced results um and so that question is punted a few years down the road and so um I don't think it's a do or die season I think he can win himself a couple more years this year but I don't think he can lead I don't think the team can perform badly enough to lead to his firing this year, I guess, I guess to put it that way. Um, kind of along the same lines. Another question about the future of the team. Nick is asking, when do the Blue Jays retool as a team? And kind of along the same lines, he also asks, who is the first A-list player to get traded, if any? Um, I think these are kind of along the same lines because I, I think uh, retooling this team means that you're trading an A-list player. Like you're kind of refocusing around a different ideal, a different strategy. Um, in terms of who it's going to be, like I, does Matt Chapman count as an A-list player? Because I think he's maybe the most likely to be traded out of anyone. Just the fact that, like, first off, I don't think he's going to re-sign this year. Like, I, I don't know if... I think it might be kind of a mutual thing. Like, maybe he wants to come back. I don't know if he's a great fit with the Jays right now. Like, obviously, he had a fantastic start to the season, but the way he's kind of bottomed out offensively over the last couple months, um, I just don't know if he's the perfect fit for this team. Um, the fact that his contract is up at the end of this year, I think, also might indicate that, like, to be honest, I don't think it's likely he's moved at the deadline, but if if we're talking any A-list player likely to be moved at the deadline, I think it's him. Like, I think it's most likely to be him. Just because of his contract status, the way he's been performing, the way you could move him and, I don't know, have Espinal take the starting job at third base or even, like, Biggio could cycle in and out of there and then you can trade him and get some, I don't know, if you get more power, like, if you get, like, a first-base DH type, although the Blue Jays kind of packed for, I guess, like, an outfielder maybe, like a fourth outfielder who has a lot of power. Maybe you trade him for that or maybe you look for a couple relievers out of the bullpen who can help you. So I, th I think... As much as I don't think it's likely, I think it's the most likely scenario of any A-list player for the Jays to be traded. Um, and in terms of when did the Jays retool, I guess if they trade Chapman, that counts as a retooling. I don't know. It depends how you define retooling. Um, I, and again, I think it depends on the outcome of this season. Like if the Jays massively underperform the rest of the way, you're going to be looking at a retool where potentially you're firing Ross Adkins. Although, again, I don't think that's likely. Um, you're training some guys, you're refocusing the team, but ultimately, like, if they're even close to successful this year, I think, like, you're looking at, you're not going to retool while you still have Vladdy and Bo. Like, that is the core of this team, and that's kind of the clock of this team. When those contracts run up, that's when this phase is over, and so I think that's kind of what this all hinges on. Um, one final mailbag question from iTone. Um, they ask, would a bat at the deadline help offensive inconsistencies? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know Ross Adkins came out like a week ago or a couple days ago now and said top priority at the deadline is pitching. I don't really see that, to be honest. I think the top priority at the deadline should be hitting. That's the problem with this team. I've been saying it endlessly. This is a team that's built around the offense and the offense is not performing and you need to shore it up somehow. I would love for them to go out and seek a power bat that can fit into the middle of this lineup and drive in some runs. That's what they're missing. They're missing that type of bat and I really want the Blue Jays to add that. So yes, absolutely. I think adding a bat, especially 
a power bat because that's what the Blue Jays are missing somehow. Like maybe, maybe I guess technically the addition is Vladdy heating up finally and finding that power, but they absolutely need power. And so, yes, absolutely. They should add a bat at the deadline and it would help with the offensive consistencies they've had this year. All right. So that pretty much covers this series against the Chicago White House. We got one more series before the trade deadline against the Detroit Tigers. Alec Manoa is going to be starting tonight against Alex Fado. Alex Fado has a 5.54 ERA. And then on Saturday, we've got Gosman versus Matt Manning with a 4.84 ERA. And then finally, in the series finale, the first half finale before the All-Star break, before the home run derby, before the uh, amateur draft, we get Chris Bassett versus Tariq Skubal. Uh, Skubal made his season debut against Oakland last time out. Uh, he didn't give up. I think it was four innings pitch, no earned runs, um, but against Oakland. So, like, I don't know how much you want to read into that, but that's kind of the situation the Jays are facing in this series. Uh, in terms of series predictions, Bryson and Jacob both got their series predictions in, and they both say the Blue Jays are going to sweep this series. I like the optimism, but I can't agree with it. I think the Jays are going to win with Manoa on the mound. I'm optimistic despite my concerns that they rushed him back. I think they're going to win with Gosman on the mound, but I think they're going to lose the series finale on Sunday with Chris Bassett on the mound, unfortunately, just based on the way he's been pitching and a little bit shaky, although he had that solid start against the Chicago White Sox. Uh, to update, where the series prediction standings lie right now? Um, it's been a weird couple of days. Uh, we haven't updated this for a while, but... Bryson now is sitting pretty again, still in first at 51 points. He gets three points from this series because he predicted the sweep correctly. Jacob and I both get one point for saying the Jays would go two and one. Uh, so that leaves Bryson 51 first. I'm in second at 46 points. Jacob has made up a little bit of ground. He's made up a little bit. Um, he made up a lot of ground in the Oakland series when he uh, predicted the Jays would go two and one. And both Bryson and I predicted a sweep. So, Jacob's at 33 points in third. So, he's what? Um, 18 points behind Bryson in first. Uh, it, it's it's getting late fast for Jacob in this season. But, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're at the halfway point of the season. We're past it, technically, by games played. The home run derby coming up. Um, I won't be here next episode. Potentially, the episode after that, I'll be missing as well. So, you'll be in good hands with Jacob and Bryson, potentially... Uh, pinch hitting uh, Tobias, as you saw in a couple episodes ago before Canada Day. Uh, as always, you can support this podcast by going to every link below this episode. We've got our Discord, which I've already plugged. You've got our Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, where you can stay up to date with everything we're doing. And then, of course, you can check out our Bias Coffee page. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, and you can rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which just helps spread the word about what we're doing here. So series against the Detroit Tigers, looking forward to it. We will catch you next time. You can't get-